Hey guys, my name is Quinn Cully, and this is True Product, a show that dives into the weeds of real projects with PMs from around the world. Our guest today is Natalie Mannion, a senior PM from Etsy, who focuses on the mobile app for their marketplace. As usual, we'll cover a bit about the company, their team structure, how they define objectives and prioritize, and finally, we'll dive into a recent project of hers. Specifically, how Natalie's team improved the push notifications for users that had shown interest in certain creators or products. Some of the highlights from today's chat are one, the importance of helping users form good habits, not just drawing them back to your site. Two, how many notifications you should actually be sending users. And three, the importance of having an opinion as a PM. As always, if you have any feedback, please find us on Twitter or LinkedIn at True Product Podcast. Thanks. Enjoy. Let's get started. Natalie, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, let's start with a little bit about who you are and where you're working. Sure. So my name is Natalie Mannion. Um, I am a senior product manager at Etsy. Um, for those that don't know, Etsy is a two-sided marketplace, so a buyer-seller marketplace, um, and anyone can go to the Etsy website or the Etsy app to purchase handmade, vintage, um, special items. And I work on the app, the buyer-facing Etsy app. Very, very cool. Um, how did you come to be a product manager? Um, so I started out of college in a marketing role at Amazon. Um, and I, it was in that role that I started interfacing with all these different product managers throughout the company. And I actually didn't even know what product management was and was at that point. But I started, you know, talking with them and working with them more, and I realized that it was the career path that I wanted to take. So, um, yeah, after after having spoken with so many at Amazon and having many mentor me, I was able to make the transition internally, um, and I've been a product manager ever since. Why did you want to make the switch? Um, I think I really enjoyed the idea of having to wear many different hats. Yeah. So, you know, being both, everyone always uses this kind of like cliche example, but being both a janitor and a little bit of the CEO as yeah. well. Um, I, I like that every day of my job is, is really different. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I like being able to, to make decisions that impact businesses. Nice. That definitely makes sense. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about the team structure that you guys have internally, both what your pod looks like maybe and the teams that you kind of interact with the most? Um, sure. So on my team, there is a designer, myself, an engineering manager, and then I think around 11 or 12 engineers. Oh, wow. Um, and these engineers span across API, iOS, and Android because yep. we're building an iOS and an Android app. Nice. Um, so it generally takes both an API engineer and an iOS and an Android engineer to ship a feature. So you can think of it as more of like four or five engineers in total. That makes sense. Yeah. And just quickly, how much of the stuff that you do on the app actually gets reflected in the web app? Um, not much at all, to really? be honest. Yeah, we're an app-first team. Yeah, yeah. And our, we believe that our app customers are, you know, they're, they're our most dedicated customers. Yeah, completely. So we we build different features very for them interesting. to serve their their needs because they're so different from our web buyers. Very cool. I'm excited yeah. to get into that. Yeah. Um, and then what, sorry, what are some of the other teams that you interact with the most outside of your little pod? 
Um, outside of my little pod, um, I work I work a lot recently with the marketing and merchandising team um, on you know new new kind of marketing campaigns in the app and figuring out new types of content that we can surface throughout the app. Um, I work quite a bit with other product teams across Etsy on the, both the web and app side, uh, just, just to ensure that we're all aligned and we're moving in you know, generally the same direction, yeah. even though we're building different products. How many product pods are there? Or? Um, at Etsy, there's... Um, there's there's got to be like 30 to 40 product managers um, probably across like 12 or so different groups really okay the company. Yeah. nice that's good yeah. to know a little bigger than ours yeah. um, all right let's talk about uh, planning and prioritization so on a weekly quarterly monthly or yearly basis how what does planning look like Mm-hmm. as it relates to objectives and then getting down to kind of the ideation phase and prioritizing. So planning at Etsy is very agile. Yeah. Um, we don't believe in setting out, for, for the majority of our teams, I would say, we don't believe in setting a year-long roadmap. Yep. Um, oftentimes, we only book ourselves through a quarter because we think it's so, so, so important to be able to um, shift focus when needed. And we're, we're very willing to do that. Um, as soon as we, we're a really data-driven culture, we, we talk to customers all the time. And if we learn that um, a product that we build isn't serving our customers' needs, we will, we will pivot at any moment. So we don't, we don't plan beyond, I would say, four months for many of our initiatives, including my own. Nice. So, so really, every, every two weeks, is, we go through that cycle of, are, are we going in the right direction? Is... Is this does this roadmap make sense? And what does right direction mean to you? Um, so we have we we go by the OKR model. Yep. So so we are tracking ourselves on our key results. Nice. And I'm um, tracking those like, pretty closely. Nice. And is the objective a at the highest level, like the company, or is it in like is there a, is there a layer in between your pod and the company? Is it, I guess is what I'm asking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So okay. so yeah, we. Um, we don't have some centralized, you know, metric that we're all chasing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we believe that we can set KPIs at the initiative level yep. and kind of make some assumptions that those will then ladder up to nice. our so company level metrics. When do you guys set those uh, key results? Um, so we set them on an annual basis and then we review nice. them every quarter. Nice. And once again, we are also flexible. Yeah, if, yeah. if it doesn't seem like it's if, if either we're not able to make progress on those key results yeah, yeah. or they don't seem to be laddering up to our wider company objectives, then yep. we will also shift focus. And are you able to share with us a key result, an example of one? Um, sure. I can give you I can give you an example of a key result. Um, so, so one example um, is kind of what we were touching on earlier yeah. b- before this. Uh, so... In the Etsy app, you can save items. Yep. Um, we call it favoriting. Mm-hmm. So one key result for us is favoriting. Nice. So, so being able to you know engage and collect different items in the app. Nice. That definitely makes sense. Yeah. Perfect. Um, all right. And then on, let's say you uh, you have an objective uh, for the quarter. You have key results. Um, 
Now, how do you guys prioritize, let's say, one, how do you surface what ideas are out there or how do you generate what are the possible ways that we can improve this metric and then how do you prioritize what one to work on? How do, so how do we basically come up with, with our roadmap, ideas for our roadmap? Yeah, yeah, essentially. I'm, I'm sure there's a million ideas floating around and you guys have to figure out what ones to work mm-hmm. on and why. Um, so I, that, there are so many different inputs <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that lead to us uh, generating ideas that then batter up into our roadmap. Um, one of them, which we invest really heavily in at Etsy, is uh, customer research. Nice. So we're talking to customers at least every other week. Yeah. And so that's a really big input that then leads to us generating ideas for a roadmap. Another is, you know, we have we have so much data. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're constantly looking into, you know, what are customers actually doing, and how can we make that easier, or what are new features we could we could use to, to actually um, better serve our customers. And we're we're putting together prototypes, but getting them in front of customers all the time. Yeah. We also really believe in um, collaborating collaborating across the team. So we host ideation sessions pretty re- regularly. Um, across both product engineering, marketing, everyone get everyone in a room together to actually come That's up with ideas. Really cool. On the yeah. um, just on like the nitty gritty details, mm-hmm. if if somebody discovers some idea based on a user interview or something, where do they put that idea? Just so that like, hey, we'll come back to this, or maybe we'll talk about it, and next time we have to prioritize. We actually have just a regular Google spreadsheet. Love it. <laughs> Love shared, it. You know, amongst a team of like fifty people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. Anyone is able and willing to, to put in ideas there. Nice. That makes sense. Perfect. Um, and then last question is, do you have any type of consistent structure project to project on how you maybe start a project or the stages in which you would carry it out? Yes. Um, so at a high level, we think of projects as either in um, discovery or delivery. Yep. And in a discovery phase is when we're talking to customers, um, we're figuring out the nitty gritty, what, what will the acceptance criteria be? And then the delivery phase is when the engineer is actually working on it. Yeah, completely. Um, and that's that's typically how nice. projects work. And does, um, let's say you work on two projects in a quarter or something, let's, mm-hmm. is, the, is the first one of like how you kick it off of like a problem statement and then I do research and then I go to design and then we test again, is it consistent or does it change pretty much for every project? It changes depending on the size of the project. Nice. Um, so if we're, you know, going to, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, if we're going to add an entire new screen or feature into the app, yep. then that process is going to be extended. And we're yeah, going to do so much more customer research and we're going to think about it quite a bit more. But yeah. if we're switching buttons around or changing the color or something, yeah. you know, that's, that doesn't feel different. As much. Nice. Um, perfect. All right. Let's jump into uh, your specific project. So what do you got for with us? Uh, start from the very beginning. Sure. So um, my team this year is focused on serving the needs of the, our most loyal buyers at Etsy. Um, and one thing that we kind of wanted to tap into a little bit more is building habit within our app. Um and rewarding habits that are already happening within the app. Uh, so the project that I want to talk about today is a feature that we built called in-app notifications. Um, and should I give a little summary of that? Yeah, yeah, of course. And then we'll go backwards. 
So, so as I mentioned earlier, users can favorite items in the app that they either want to eventually purchase or that they just find really beautiful um, or aspirational or want to share with a friend. Um, so we built a feature in the app to let buyers know when those items that they favorite either go on sale or when a shop, an Etsy seller or shop that they favorited has added new items. Um, so it's just a way to kind of reward the investment that buyers are already taking in our, nice. in our app. Very cool. So let's start at the beginning. What, I guess, did the in-app messaging experience look like before you guys started project uh, this project? And how did you realize that maybe there's some opportunity here? So it was it was actually a feature that um, had been built on web, mm-hmm. um, like an, kind of an MVP feature on, on the web. Yep. So we had an idea of what it might look like. Yeah. Um, and then we realized that this is this is really a feature for our app buyers. Yeah, yeah. Our app buyers are the ones they're they're logged in to the app. Yep. Web buyers aren't always logged in, um, and they are the ones who are actually taking the action of favoriting. Yeah. Um, so. Just, just those insights alone for, were enough for us to, to think we, we need to build this in the app. This is, this is something that um, will really serve our app buyers. That definitely makes sense. And you, uh, you talk about this a little bit. Um, what is kind of the biggest difference between people who use a website and people who use the app? Is there core demographics that you look at that differentiate them? Uh, yes. Yeah, so our app buyers are, as I mentioned before, they're, they're almost all signed in. Yep. So... Um, you know, they generally have favorites. Yeah, yeah. They've generally, you know, made made purchases within the same account. Yep. Whereas many of our web buyers are signed out because some of our traffic is directed externally from Pinterest, from Google, from other other places. Nice. Um, so our app buyers are like, are a bit higher intent, um, and they tend to we you know we kind of have certain personas that we've developed for them yeah, yeah. over time. So um, many of them tend to be um, either either very expressive, so someone who's really interested in developing a unique sense of style, yep. or someone who uh, has a big occasion coming up, like such as a wedding or yeah. you know a, a bachelor party, something like that. Um, those are like two examples of personas of our app buyers, but they're very different from our web buyers. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so... You have realized that um, the web app has these types of notifications. Obviously, people who use the iOS app or native app are a lot or much more higher intent users. Mm-hmm. So, what happens next for you guys? So, what happens next? So, we uh, decided to to build a feature um, to kind of hide it in the app yeah. because we weren't we we had high confidence, mm-hmm. uh, but we weren't fully certain that it should take up you know, the key real estate of, yeah, yeah. of the home screen, for example, or the bottom navigation. Yep. Um, so we, we kind of hit it within another menu. And um, we were like, if, we'll, we'll see if buyers find this and if they find value in it. Yeah. Um, and so then, so yeah, we actually, we just, that's, we decided to actually make a step to, to build it there. So you guys, you guys jumped right from, uh, all right, we think this would be valuable. Let's put it somewhere in the app without doing any other type of testing and everything. And we'll just hide a little bit to see if users use it. Yeah, exactly. Nice. All right. Um, and we did, sorry, I, I guess I jumped ahead a little bit. We did talk to some of our app buyers before, okay, before nice. this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to get a, you know, a quick pulse. But we felt like we had relatively high confidence yeah. given the success on web. Yep. Um, but, yeah, as I said, we wanted, we wanted to kind of hide it a little bit before yeah. we 
fully launched it to, nice. to the public. Yeah. And the, the experience on web and that you guys replicated was I uh, buy from a store or I favorite a store, mm-hmm. and then we notify you when that, that store, one of those stores, add more product. Yeah, either add more product or have a sale. Nice. Yeah. Um, and do you have any initial web benchmarks of like either the open rates of this or how likely these people are to convert to buy another one or what was kind of the benchmark you looked at? Um, we we did have the the web data and yeah. we expected the app di- data to be quite a bit. Yeah. Higher. Better, yeah, 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 yeah. Because these are buyers who are actually actively collecting often. Yep. Um, and who are going directly to the app all the time nice. to, to browse. Was there, uh, we often have this as well, was there a number that you guys had in your head or on paper that said, like, hey, if we don't reach this number, we will kill this and rip this out? Or was this like, hey, we genuinely believe overall, even if it's 1% improvement, that this is an improvement? Uh, yeah, so we, we A-B test almost anything we add to either the website or yep. the app. Um, and we have we track our KPIs that are set out before we actually launch any product yeah. um, within this experience. And typically that tends to be conversion rate. Yep. So um, are we able to get more users to convert, which, which we think is a really good indicator of customer experience because if if we can get you to buy something faster to find something you want more easily then that to us equates to success nice Um, so that was our biggest benchmark um, and which we were able to accomplish nice very cool all right so you you get it out there you um, a b test it and sorry let's talk a little bit about that you guys have your own internal a b testing tool we do yeah so it's it's a pretty robust we're able to to measure most things, uh, 50-50, and um, yeah, we can learn click-through rate, we can learn conversion rate, we can we can see mo- any metric that we want to detect. And did you guys segment down to releasing this to anyone in particular right off the bat, or was it released to just 50% of all traffic? So we released it to 50% of all traffic. We're able to track engagement by customer segments that um, we've defined internally. Nice. So from from people who are lowest intent all the way to like our, our yeah. most active loyal buyers. Um, are there are there any big segments that you usually look at? For us, like our biggest segment is like market. What market are you in? So that changes a lot. But for you mm-hmm. guys, is there anything specific to the users? Yeah, we we look at our. We typically want to build features that serve our most loyal buyers. Yeah. So those those are the people that we're building for. Question for you. Yeah. When you think about how valuable a customer is, is it number of purchases in a year? Is it like gross merchandise value? Like what defines a really good customer? Um it's a it's a combination of things. It's it's both number of purchases and dollar amount spent. Nice. And that's that's how we segment today. Very cool. And um is it, I'm sure you're looking at both, but is it more valuable for you guys to like get somebody that really doesn't purchase a lot to like get their second or third purchase? Or is it more valuable to get that like user who purchased a good amount to make that extra purchase? We, we tend to see that, I mean, it's, I guess it's not rocket science, but the more that, that someone purchases, the more likely they are to become a more dedicated buyer. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot so, of sense. So, um, yeah, getting from one to two is huge. Getting 
two to three to four is even bigger. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That makes a lot of sense. Um, all right. So you um, have this out there. It's still hidden a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You are A-B testing it. And then, and where are we in the time scale? So when did you start this and where are we right now? Um, so I'm trying to reflect back. This was about a, about a year ago. <laughs> um, so we're probably, probably been working on it for um, a couple months at this point. Nice. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and then, and then it's actually out in the wild and buyers are using it nice. and we're actively looking at our internal AB testing tool to see how, how things are going. Very cool. Affecting customer behavior. And how long do you let that? A-B test run? Um, we, we typically need about um, a week's worth of data yep. um, minimum, right? Because nice. we want to account for any sort of yeah, yeah. Uh, variance of uh, purchase or visit behavior throughout the week. Yep. Um, but because we had hid this bit feature a little bit, uh, it required more, more traffic because buyers weren't yeah, seeing completely. it all the time. So we we always wait till until we reach statistical significance. So we have enough buyers who are nice. um, whose behavior has changed enough for us to uh, report on that. Very cool. And how do you interact with the data team, I guess, during this of saying, Hey, before we set up the experiment during and after we, we are working with uh, analysts constantly, Yeah. Uh, both on experiment setup. So they're helping us understand, um, First of all, do we even have enough traffic to yeah. run uh, experiments in, experiment in which we'll reach statistical significance yeah. in a reasonable amount of time frame? Uh, they're helping us figure out where we should um, bucket our experiment. So where will we will determine when someone is actually eligible to be in either the treatment group or the control group? Um, and then throughout the experiment, we're constantly... I, I know we're not supposed to, to we call it peaking, where you yeah, actually yeah. Looking, yeah, at looking the data at, yeah, of course. it's really reached any sort of statistical significance, but we're, you know, constantly pinging each other. Why do you think this metric is changing? Why do you think this metric is changing? We yeah. should dive deeper on this. Um, so that's a very interactive uh, sort of thing. Very cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so do you guys get statistical significance? You see the improvement. Do you remember the actual numbers of, like, what was the actual improvement to an average user? Um, I can't, I can't give exact numbers. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> but it did end up moving all of our um, key metrics that we were tracking. Nice. So, uh, yeah, my my team is really focused on habitual, you know, building habit in the app. Yep. And it was successful at that, uh, getting buyers back into the app more often. Nice. Checking in on this experience, purchasing more. Nice. Very cool. Um. And how do you tow that line or how do you figure out if you guys could of like maybe what point is too much notifications or too many notifications? Mm-hmm. Like is it when they turn these things off like that is a negative thing? Did you guys look at this? Yeah, so we um, we actually talked to buyers uh, beforehand yeah. and uh, we asked them, you know, if you were to receive X number of notifications yeah, yeah. in a day, <laughs> You know what's the threshold? Yeah, yeah. So, yep. so we just we just verbatim asked customers. Yeah. And they, they told us they were like, I don't want to receive more than ten notifications or whatever, yeah. whatever it may be. Um, and then we can we can tailor the product to, yeah, to fit that, right? Like we can we can set build logic that says don't send more than ten notifications in it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, and then do you guys release this to everybody or what happened? 
So, so yes, it was successful. So we rolled it out to all buyers um, and, you know, iterated a bit because we built something that was definitely like a little bit hacky. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> for everyone and very hidden. Um, and hopefully we'll continue to invest in it more. Nice. Uh, and that was a year ago or when did you? Yeah, it was about maybe nine months to a year ago. Nice. Do you have any goals maybe for the next iteration of it or have you moved on to new projects? Um, we're, we're definitely still thinking about it because we are thinking about habit so much. Yeah. And I think, um, as I said, rewarding buyers for any sort of investment they put into your product, I think is, is essential yeah. to getting, to getting buyers back and to getting buyers excited, you know? Yeah, completely. So, um, I think it's something that will continue to work on. And it, it sounds like someone in your company made everybody read the book Hooked. And yeah. slowly got everyone slowly got everyone into this mindset of like, but I, I'm like, I'm, I always dig in this because I think when you figure out what are the top down things that like either come from a manager or come from somebody else or maybe horizontally that like really make up how you strategize and approach things, it's very interesting to me. So where did this kind of strategy come from? Yeah. So Hooked came out, what, four or five years ago? Yeah. Uh, I think it was handed out like candy at most tech <laughs> yeah. companies. Um, so I, I, yeah, I read it back in Amazon Day, and we definitely still reference it at Etsy. But we actually have, as a team, decided on a hooked framework that we think is a bit more ethical. So we <laughs> well, let's hear it. Yeah. So we uh, we as a team had a workshop where we. We broke it down by long-term customer goals. Yep. So we, we figured out what do our customers actually want? What's yeah. going to add value to their life? Yeah. Um, so an example might be, how can I be a better friend? How can I be a better parent? How can I be a better boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it may be? Yep. Um, and then we thought about ways to build habits that would then ladder up to something, to some like longer aspiration that you might have as a human. I like that. Um, so... So, yes, we are still thinking about it in terms of trigger action, variable reward, investment. Uh, But I think by putting this this additional lens on it, we're we're able to do it in a way that isn't, you know, growth hacking. Yeah. It isn't like, I I don't know, that's actually building value for our customers. What is that North Star that you guys have? Um, So so we've actually defined a bunch of these long-term needs yeah. our, that we that we've talked to our customers we know that they they want to develop like yeah one is to be be a better friend yep uh one one might be to have a unique sense of style and to, to really stand out from the crowd so we've actually laid out a bunch of those that we cool. deem to be our north stars um and we're actively working on ways to make our product actually fit those you know like massive nice <laughs> Uh, big goals that our customers have. And did you guys as a pod define this or was this as a company level thing? This was just, just us as a... Oh, really cool. Yeah. Did, who who kicked this off? Who was like, yeah, let's... Um, you know, it was a combination of our design, product, and research team. Really cool. Yeah, we yeah we all felt really strongly about if we're going to if we're gonna be talking about habit, we want to yeah. talk about it in... In the right light. Ethical way. Nice. Yeah. That's great to hear. Um, great. Um Anything else um, about that project that you want to touch on before we move on? Um, I don't think so. Nice. Um, well, that was great. I really, really appreciate it. Um, let's move into our last few questions. Um, the first is, uh, 
I think we hit on most of the product stack with regards to user testing, analytics, anything else. What other tools do you, like, where else do you live on a day-to-day basis? Hmm. What are the biggest things that you're checking out every single day? Yeah, so one that we that we use quite a bit and that I also use quite a bit in my time at Amazon is usertesting.com. Yeah, heard a lot about that. So, yeah, we, we do a lot of that, just nice. getting feedback constantly from buyers. And is that usually, what is your usual cadence of it? Uh, build a wireframe, get somebody on there, and do uh, either a monitored test or let them run their own test? Yeah, we do almost all self-run. Nice, okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um, just, I mean, you can get responses so fast. Yeah, there. that's it's, amazing. It's I, really I, I have never used it personally, but, every, oh, yeah. but everybody I interview absolutely loves it. Yeah, no, it's so great. Um, Very cool. i got to try it out. Outside of that, we we use Looker for data visualization. Nice. Um, so I'm on that quite a bit. And then, yeah, our, our internal A-B testing tool, I think, yeah. is, is a great way to have visibility into what's happening across the company. Yep. So I'm constantly looking at what other tests are running across the company and what are other people doing? What are we learning here? So this is something I've, I've talked to a few people about. It's like, how do you scale knowledge? Yeah. Uh, Kevin... Uh, um, uh, a few people I've, I've, I've interviewed before have talked about this idea of like, yeah, every team runs a lot of tests uh, and basically afterwards either it sits in somebody's head or it's on a Google sheet somewhere. But like if you hire a new new person and want them to say like, hey, here are all the experiments you ran. Don't make these mistakes again. What do you guys do? That's a really tough question. <laughs> uh, one, one thing that we do is on every single experiment, in, in our internal tool, we, yeah. we have a little write-up yep. at the end of any experiment. So you can see what we learned, what we decided, what our next iterations might be. Um, having a centralized knowledge base is really, really hard. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that you can fully rely on teams to, to update it. So... It, it, it's it's got to be it's one of those things that's got to be top down. Like if it's not top down and someone's like, this is how we operate, this is what we do, then like it won't survive for the long run. Um, it was uh, Uber that just did this specifically for their data team. They basically said like, hey, any report you generate uh, needs to be in this structure and it feeds into this system. So then it's like queryable and anybody, anytime can like everything's tagged. So you can say like, I want to see all experiments that had to do with X, Y, and Z. So like you really reduce the amount of times that you're getting some analyst or anybody else to run reports that like have already been there. But this is something that like, trust me, at my company, we do not do this that well. It's really just like, it's a small team so we can operate in that fashion. But I'm obsessed with that like, that process of like if you're a growth team that runs like 10 experiments a week or something like you have got to have these things documented yeah no I think it's I think it's really important um one thing I will note is sometimes I found that if it's too outdated you know if it go if it runs too far back sometimes it's not worth referencing quite yeah. as much so you've got to kind of, you've kind of also got to put a timestamp on it that definitely makes sense um all right next question do you have any questions uh, or anything that you would want to ask other PMs from other jobs or other industries or anything else that you're a little curious about? Anything I'd want to ask other PMs? Um, I, f- I feel like what's been most useful to me in my career is learning about other frameworks that PMs use, yeah. either to prioritize, to make decisions. Um, that is something that is invaluable and I found myself you know referring to to various frameworks throughout yeah. my career and I feel like that's that's such a good thing to have in your toolbox yes yeah. 
Definitely agree. Yeah, do you have do you do you have any like core frameworks that have stuck with you since like the days of Amazon? Whether it's like your six page memo that you used to have to write yeah. in Amazon or anything else. Um, gosh, the memos were such a pain. Pain, the, <laughs> but they they really did lend themselves to building phenomenal products that I can imagine. Know, thoroughly any question that you can possibly think of was answered in those memos really um, every worst case scenario was documented and I I it's something that I actually still try to do to this day is, really is to write uh, a product memo and a six pager and even is it in, my, in the form of a, in my head is it in the form of like a press release still or that one's that one's harder to kind of like socialize. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> when, when it's not common within your company. Yeah, yeah, you're just. But at least why at is least Natalie I'll, writing I'll a press release? I work through it in my head. Um, but it's like this is this this is the best headline that could happen as a result yeah. of this product, and this is you know top of the front of the New York Times. Yeah. Worst case scenario, yeah. I think is is a good lens to, to think about. That's really cool. Any uh, any other frameworks? Um, nothing's coming to mind immediately. No, no worries. Yeah. Um, one of mine has always been uh, the Toyota Five Ys. Yeah. Uh, like I just, I'm obsessed with that idea of just drilling down constantly. Of like, all right, that's the surface level problem. That's another surface level problem. Like, what is the actual root problem? And I love the simplicity sometimes. Of like, oh, actually, if we just like change this to this, it solves all the other problems layered on top of it. Yep, we we use that one um, at Amazon all the time. We call for things we call COEs, correction of error. Yeah. So anytime a system broke or a product ended up as a disaster, yeah. we would we would Ooh, use do a little investigation. Lines. Nice, really cool. Um, okay. Um, what is your favorite source of content for improving as a PM? My favorite source of content, um, I think first and foremost is just talking to other PMs, yeah. whether it be at Etsy or outside of Etsy. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's been great great to chat. <laughs> outside of that, I, I think generally I find books on social psychology to be to be really useful. I definitely agree with that. That is, I, like, I took Psych 101 in college. I really wish I could go back and to, like, pay a lot more attention just because, like, totally. now, like, applying it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, all right, and last question. Uh one lesson you would give early PMs or maybe your younger self as a PM? Um, this is advice I got from my mentor as I was leaving Amazon. Yeah. You know, so I was, so had a little bit of experience as a, as a PM at this point, but not a lot. And he's, he's a you know, very successful director, uh, had, a, had a really good career in, in products yeah. and still does. And he gave me the advice always have an opinion um that is what you are there for as a as a product manager you you need to you know step into a room and say this is what i believe this is the direction i believe the product to go in and here's why um otherwise you're kind of you're project managing that's that is that is great advice honestly i i I definitely definitely agree with that because you uh especially especially in startups like i've often run into this like if you don't have that opinion then like you someone else will and someone else will say like all right great then this is what we're doing and i've realized like the skill to have it's like the most important thing is to be able to like ingest data as quickly as possible form opinions back them up with the data and be able to sell that to other people exactly. the quicker you can do that like the more successful you're going to be mm-hmm. and even i mean and and even using your intuition i think yeah is, is completely really important and being able to on the cuff 
you know, think through every experience you've had, either as a product manager or not, um, or in real life, and be able to, to respond and say, I think that this is the right thing to do. I definitely agree with that. I, I, like, I often relate this to like, the scars that we have as product managers. I think those are the best lessons I have. And when someone says, like, oh, we should do X, Y, Z, I'm usually referencing all those like failures that I've had in the past. Of like, no, we definitely shouldn't because of this. And it's like it's those those weird things where it's like how many things can I learn from like reading a book or talking to somebody versus how much do I have to like go through myself? And you realize why like experience is really valuable because mm-hmm. usually it comes with a lot of learnings and failures. Mm-hmm. Um, perfect. Well, that is it. Um, I really really appreciate you coming on. This was phenomenal. Yeah. Thank you so much.